The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Chronicles 21. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. That's OT, baby, Old Testament. We're going Old Testament tonight. This week, uh, we are beginning our series called Extravagant, uh, Generous Living in Light of the Gospel. Uh, The word extravagant means exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate or costing too much. Uh, It has synonyms like expensive, costly, and lavish. Over the next several weeks, we are going to be focusing on our motives when it comes to generosity or the lack of it. We are asking God to work in us by his spirit so that we would be an extravagantly generous people, reflecting the truth to the world that we have an extravagantly generous God. Amen. So uh, if you're in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, we are going to start, we're actually going to read starting in verse 18, we're going to go through 27, but I'm going to give you the background and and get you up to speed on where we're at. So I'm kind of starting at the beginning of verse 21, I'm going to summarize and then we'll pick up in verse 18. So the beginning of chapter 21, what we see um, is David takes a census, okay, so he commands all the princes uh, and and his kind of right-hand man, Joab, to go out, he wants to count all the people, Okay. This census, this census that David takes is displeasing to God. He's not happy about it. Now, there was nothing wrong inherently with taking a census. Um, there was times God actually commanded it earlier on. The problem was David's motive. David's motive in taking the census is what made it sinful. Uh, if, if you understand the kind of chronology of where we're at, David's at the end of his reign, uh, and he's... There's a prideful motive of counting the people because he kind of wants to be able to see what the effect has been of King David on the throne. And so he knows it's going to be good, uh, and it is. Uh, Israel has flourished under his reign uh, and under his leadership, and so in in a prideful way, he wants to count and kind of get proof that he's done a good job. Uh, And it's really sad as you read it. I I would encourage you to go back and and read the whole chapter later, Uh, but his friend a trusted guy that's been with him a long time. Joab, is, he, he, he tries to call him out. He's like, David, why do, why do you want to do this, man? I don't know if it's a good idea. And David just kind of steamrolls and doesn't listen and calls for the census anyways. And um, it ends up being a bad deal. Uh, it, and, and God's really upset about it. And so God comes uh, through a prophet named Gad, and he kind of lets David um, choose his punishment. It's interesting. I, <laughs> my granddad used to tell me that his mom would let him, well, let is, is a loose term. Essentially, when he was about to get whooped, he had to go out to the field where there was some small trees with, like, flexible branches, and he had to pick the switch that he got beat with. And so if he came back with a, a little skinny one that she didn't think was good enough, she wore that one out on him and sent him for a new one. Uh, so, and if he came back, you know, there was all these parameters of how it was supposed to be. So uh, I don't know if that was really all that merciful in that situation. But in, in this situation, um, God is merciful in the fact that he lets David, there's going to be a consequence for this, this prideful taking of a census. And so God gives him three options. He says, you can have three years of famine, uh, three months of military defeat by your enemies, or three days of the angel of the Lord bringing pestilence upon the land. 
Um, David's answer is this. I would rather fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. And so he picks directly the three days of the angel of the Lord bringing pestilence upon the land. Uh, You might think that he picked that simply because it's three days instead of three months or three years, but if, if if you think about it, David's heart, he really... The reason he made the decision is exactly what he said. He would rather fall into the hand of the Lord because the Lord, he understands that the Lord is merciful. He doesn't want to fall into the hands of man. So if there was three years of famine, they would end up result, really relying on the food reserves of the surrounding countries, their kindness or lack of it. And so he doesn't want to be in that situation. Um, if it's three months of being underneath, you know, essentially the sword of his enemies, obviously it's, it's kind of up to how vengeful or mean man wants to be in that situation. The third option, uh, though devastating, is directly linked to the Lord bringing the, he, sent, he sends his angel to bring pestilence upon the land, and so that's directly the Lord's doing, and David is right, because if you look at it, um, there, there is a punishment, there's 70,000 men fall in Israel, uh, and that pestilence is about to hit Jerusalem, but, but God in his mercy lets up. It should have kept going, but he didn't even give the full punishment uh, that was laid out as an option. And so we see God's mercy in that. Um, and that brings us up then to verse 18. So we're in First Chronicles 21, verse 18. I just kind of gave you the backstory. Let's start reading at verse 18. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves, and Ornan was threshing wheat. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Give me the side of this threshing floor that I may build upon it an altar to the Lord. For the full price you shall give it to me, that the plague may be restrained from the people." Ornan said to David, take it for yourself and let my lord the king do what is good in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for wood and the wheat for grain offering. I will give it all. But King David said to Ornan, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price for I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. Then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. The Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back in its sheath. Praise God for his word. Amen. It's very interesting. Let's let's start back at verse 18. I want to just work through this passage with you. Um, I really do want to, I want to, ask you to just commit to reading the rest of the chapter later, just the whole, go through the whole chapter and get the context. I gave you the Reader's Digest version, but this is really powerful. Uh, and it's, it's, it, it opens up broadly kind of the, the subject matter we're going to be dealing with for the next few weeks. So verse 18 says, Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up to build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. This is deep. This hilltop, okay, so the, the threshing floor, it was, it was up on a hill because essentially what they're doing is they're, they're beating out the wheat and the, the, the chaff is lighter than, than the good stuff, right? So the grain falls, the chaff catches the wind, and so they're up on a hilltop to do that and it just kind of blows it away, right? So that's how essentially they were refining the wheat to make it into flour, do whatever they want to do. This 
this threshing floor, um, we, we, we find out later on that this is actually on Mount Moriah. And so this hilltop has really rich history in regard to God's redemptive plans in the earth. Mount Moriah is the same mountain where Abraham offered Isaac. That is one of the clearest foreshadowings of Jesus' sacrifice in all of the scriptures. So this same mountain where God is, uh, through his angel, he's telling Gad, the prophet, to tell David, go up, this is where I want you to make this offering. What's going to end up happening through this, if, if you go on and read in, in the next chapter, because of this situation, because David does obey the Lord, he, he builds an altar there, he offers burnt offerings, God lets him know that he's accepting that by sending fire down from heaven to consume those offerings. So what ends up happening then is David decides that this is going to be the site of the temple moving forward. And so all the way back, man, Abraham, that's, that's a long time before this time, he took his son up a hill with wood on his back and laid him down and, and was ready to take his life to, because God was, asked, was trying to figure out, man, are you going to trust me? Are you going to be able to trust me? Are you going to be able to trust the word of my covenant? And, and, and the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham reasoned in his mind. Of course this was hard. This was his only son. This was the son of promise, right? But he raised the knife, and he was ready to do it because he reasoned in his mind, well, then God will raise him from the dead because he told me that through this boy that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, that, that his seed was going to continue on. And, and so he was clinging to the promise. And because he did that, he, the, the knife was raised, and he was ready to drop it. All of a sudden, the ram's in the thicket. A sacrifice was provided on top of Mount Moriah all the way back in Abraham's time. Is this ringing something in your spirit, man? You hearing what I'm talking about? God did something right in this location, man. This, something was going on here as far as God's redemptive purpose in the earth because then a, whole, a bunch of time later, David commits a great sin against the Lord. After all God has done, he lets his pride get him puffed up, and he decides, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to take a census. I want to see how good of a job I've done. He gets all thrilled about his own performance, even though God tries to use his friend to warn him not to, commits a great sin of pride against the Lord. The Lord sends judgment upon it, and yet we see his mercy as well in the exact same place, and we see that he sends David to offer a sacrifice in the exact same spot and we see mercy happen again. You want to know something else? Here's the kicker. Here's where it gets really rich and really beautiful. This is the same set of hills, friends, where Jesus ends up giving his life as a final sacrifice. Whew. Come on. Tell me that there's not proof that God has been working his redemptive purposes in the earth, man. All this time, from Abraham to David to Jesus, he's putting it all together. I don't believe... I don't believe that now, because, because of what God has done through Christ, and he's released his Holy Spirit to, be, to create us and, and make us into the, the New Testament temple of the Holy Spirit, I, I don't believe that, that this building, for example, is somehow more sacred than the, the grocery store down the street. Wherever we go as God's people, that's, that's holy ground. But God was doing something with this piece of dirt, and he just wanted people to know over and over again, I'm in this. I'm doing something here. Let me show you something. Praise God. <clears throat> that was just verse 18. We got work to do. You guys quit. You get me off track. All right. I don't know. That was exciting to me. I see God's sovereignty in that. I see his providence in that. To me, that's beautiful. That just gives me courage, man. Praise God. Verses 19 through 23. So David went up to the, uh, at the word of Gad, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves, and Ornan was threshing wheat. As David 
king uh, to Ornan. Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before with his face to the ground. Then David said, side of the threshing floor, that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Full price, plague may be restrained from the people. Uh, Ornan said to David, take it for yourself and let my Lord the king do what is good in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for burnt offering and the threshing sledges for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all. Here's what we see. So, Somehow through this, David, David is coming to obey God through the word of Gad. He's going to approach Ornan up on the threshing floor and obtain that spot to offer uh, offerings to the Lord. The angel of the Lord is, is somehow in this picture, right? Whether he's moving with David, I'm, I'm not sure how that works. But the bottom line is Ornan and his sons get a glimpse of the angel of the Lord. And, and so his sons, are they're hiding, right? They're, they're totally freaked out because when, when, a, when a man or a woman gets a glimpse of the unveiled holiness of God. And this is just his angel. This is just the glory of his angel. This isn't God himself, right? When a human gets a glimpse of that, man, that's a terrifying thing. That's why, that's why we rejoice so much in the gospel, because without the shed blood of Christ covering our sins, we should be terrified at the holiness and the glory of God. And so these guys get a glimpse of this angel. They're totally freaked out. But what, but what, is, what is, my question to you is, what is Ornan's response to getting a glimpse of the glory of God through a glimpse of the angel of the Lord. What is his response? This brother wants to give everything he's got from a glimpse of just the angel of the Lord. Man, what does he say? He's like, first of all, this is extravagant generosity, right? This would have been an incredibly huge cost to him. He wants to give the land on which he runs his business, so he's given away the threshing floor. This is, this is a, a prime spot to do what it is he does to, in an agricultural society. Okay, yeah, great. Have the land, right? He give the animals he uses to run his business, right? Just go ahead and sacrifice those. He says, I'll give the wheat as well. You can burn that up in the grain offering. And then all the tools that I use to get the job done that I get done and provide for my family, these wooden sledges that it takes to grind up this stuff and do what I'm doing, just don't even you hike and go find any wood, man. Break that stuff up and just burn that because I just got a glimpse of the unveiled glory of God. And so everything I have, I want to give. So what am I saying? I'm saying when we glimpse the glory of God, we begin to understand the holiness and the goodness and the magnificence of the God of the universe. The only right response is extravagant generosity. Anything less should show us that maybe we need to look harder and understand better the greatness, the magnificence, the extravagance, the beauty, the mercy of our God. Whoo! This guy is overcome, man. He is undone. He said, take it all. And he just saw the angel. Mm, come on. Verses 24 through 27. Is something wrong, Bubba? What do we need to do? Just switch? Okay. Praise God. Where are we at? All right. Um, here we are. So what, what, what just happened here? So David, David himself also has witnessed the glory of the Lord. He has seen the angel of the Lord, right? He, he's been bowed down in worship, but he, is, he has also understood. I'm not sure to what degree Ornan understood all the details of what was happening, that God had said, okay, here's three options. You pick. 
David picks, and then God doesn't even fully unleash the totality of that. Uh, his mercy is, is shown in the fact that he pulls back. He commands the angel to, to he, says, he says, ease your hand. If you go back and read it, you know, stop before, before that pestilence hit Jerusalem. So God is merciful in not even fully dealing out the, the punishment that David deserves. Um, and so David has witnessed that. Um, and, and, and here we see that David's response, like Ornan's, is extravagant generosity, not just financially, but with time and talent. Look at what he did. So he, he gives 600 shekels of gold to buy the site um, and some of the stuff, other stuff that Ornan had there. Then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So that's one sentence that we can kind of glaze over. But when we're talking about building an offering, that's, that's moving heavy stones. That's skilled work. That would have took time. It takes one sentence for us to read it, but you don't just throw an altar together in an hour, okay? So this was straight up, hardcore, serious work. So that he would have been out there sweating. It could have taken hours, if not days, of his time. And so there's not just this incredible financial response to the mercy and glory of God that David has just experienced, but he's also willing to pour out time, and he's willing to pour out the, the talent and the skill that it would take to put this altar together uh, in order to obey the Lord. And so... Um, we, we, we see that clearly, and, and here's, here's the thing. I, let, let's go back to Ornan for a minute, because I think we have a problem sometimes. I, 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 think, I think we sometimes would push back on a mindset that the, the response to God's glory, the response to God's mercy on us should be extravagant generosity, and we see what Ornan did here. And I think we could mask a subdued response to God's goodness under, the, under this veil of wisdom. I, I don't know, I, I wanna, how do you think Ornan's response is supposed to be read? Do you think we're supposed to read that as a warning about, well, don't be too passionate when the Lord does something awesome. You know, don't give too much in response to God's goodness. Is that how we're supposed to read Ornan? Is that how we're supposed to see what he did? The fact that he essentially, he, he saw but a glimpse of the glory of the angel of the Lord, and this brother was willing to unload everything. Take my business, take all my tools, take even the stuff it would take me to rebuild my business. I've seen God's glory, and I'm going to give something big in response to that. See, I think a lot of us would, well, I don't know if Warren was real wise. I, okay, <laughs> you can decide that that's supposed to be the lesson from that. You can decide that that's why Ornan's name got recorded in Chronicles, or, or I think what's happening here is, we're learning something about what it should look like when we encounter the living God. What it should look like when we understand the glory of God. What it should look like when we get a glimpse of the goodness, the mercy, and the majesty of the God of the universe. There should be an extravagantly generous response. We should be willing to pour out our life, not only our finances, but also our time and talent, just like David was. You, you become undone when you understand, when you get a glimpse of the goodness and the glory and the mercy of God. And that's what we see these two men experiencing and we see what their response is. It's, it's, it is extravagant. It is, it is more than some would say is necessary, right? Well, man, that kind of seems like overdoing it. Yeah, that's what happens when you see the glory of God, man. That's what happens when you understand the depths of his mercy and love. When you begin to really grasp what his character is like, when you really get to understand how big he is and how sovereign he is and how absolutely worthy he is to be trusted. It makes you just want to pour everything out because you know he's got what it takes to supply for you anyways. You, you, you stop depending on your business 
as God. You stop depending on your business to be your provider. You stop depending on your job to be your provider. You stop depending on those tools. Smash those tools and burn them. I just saw the glory of God, and I know he's got what it takes. Me and my family are going to be all right. Whew. If, that's, the, if, that's, the, if I, that's a few-second glimpse of just the angel of the Lord, if that's what we're dealing with, if that's the kind of power we're dealing with, that's the kind of God we're dealing with, then, then let's not waste time getting this sacrifice going. Just, just burn my tools. <laughs> yeah, take my land. That's a done deal. Yes. But also take my oxen. And I was working on all this wheat for probably weeks after the harvest. Just, just Let's burn that up too. Let's give it all to him. Well, I don't know if that's wise. Okay. <laughs> all right. If, 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 that's, if that's what you think the lesson is here, that Ornan was unwise and foolish, I'd have to disagree. Through this event, Ornan and David saw a glimpse of the glory and mercy of God, and they responded with what many would say is unreasonable or excessive or even foolish generosity. Many would claim they were overdoing it or not using wisdom because of the absolute extravagance of their giving. Where they saw but a glimpse of God's magnificent glory and grace, we have seen the fullest expression of both of those in Jesus Christ. His life, death, and resurrection reveal the blinding radiance of the goodness of God. And so my, my question to us friends, if David and Ornan saw just the angel of the Lord that day, if, if what David saw was, was a, a foreshadowing of the mercy of God, it, it, there's, no, there's no way he could have totally comprehended all that God was going to do to accomplish redemption for everyone. We saw God's mercy in holding back that pestilence from as far as it should have gone. They deserve more punishment than they got. Does that sound familiar? And they saw but a glimpse of God's goodness and mercy through that event. We have seen the unveiled radiance, the blinding beauty of all of the mercy and glory of God fully in the sacrifice and the resurrection of Christ. And so the question to us today, friends, is where is our Ornan-like sacrifice? Where is our mentality? And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that what God would have you do today is go empty everything and burn everything and send up a smoke offering to him. We don't do that anymore, right? We don't need to do that anymore because of what Jesus accomplished. But I got to ask us, is our heart in the same position that these two men were from catching just a glimpse of the totality of the goodness of God when we have seen fully and completely and totally in what Jesus has accomplished, the goodness, the glory, the mercy, the magnificence, the long-suffering, the patience, and the love of God. Is extravagant generosity not the automatic? Should it not be the automatic response to understanding the beauty of the gospel? Should we not be even that much more ready than David was? Yeah, I know he saw the angel of the Lord. I know he saw him holding his, his sword over Jerusalem, ready to let that pestilence go, and he watched that same angel of God in all his glory sheath that sword. I know he saw a vision, but I'm telling you right now, friends, we have the word of God fully telling us completely that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, a perfect life, and then he died in our place for our sins, and then he beat death, man. He rose from the grave. The stone rolled away and he's not there anymore. He has ascended to glory. We worship the resurrected king of glory. How would we ever struggle to have a similar response that these two men had? And, and I'm just saying to you, there's a lot of different ways to think about generosity. There's a lot of different ways to think about giving. I spent a lot of my early years as a Christian 
hearing, when it, when it came to giving and it came to generosity, what I heard a lot was a lot about sowing and reaping. If you sow, you will reap. Listen, that's true. 100%. You can't get away from that in the scriptures. It, it, and I don't want to. It's a cool promise. I'm really glad that when I sow seed, God multiplies it, right? That he gives seed to the sower, and that that, that, that means, and, and he's looking to get more seed to those that are willing to sow. Yes, praise God. I'm so glad that principle is true. But if that's my motivation, if that's my motivation for giving, it's concerning, right? Because if, if you have to dangle in front of me the carrot of, well, if you give, if you, if you put money in this, in this heavenly account, then God's going to increase that, and we, we start treating God like a 401K, right? And if that's my motivation, that's a serious problem. That's a serious problem because I'm, I, I, need some, I need some extra thing above the fact that Jesus is already fully revealed the goodness and the glory and the mercy and the long-suffering and the patience and the love of God. And so I, I, my, my call to us is that we should be extravagantly generous because of what Jesus has done. Now, if we do that, is God going to increase us even more when we do? Yes, and amen. Praise God. But that's like icing on the cupcake, man. When you're mature, you understand that I watched my son eat a cupcake today, okay? Here, here's how he ate a cupcake. Okay, the cupcake's on the table. He's got his chubby fingers Icing. It's all just icing. That's all he wants. No, he's taking the little sprinkles and the candy on top. Cupcake, you know, he could care less, right? When you get a little bit older, you get a little more mature, you pick the whole thing up. And you bite the cake with the icing, right? We don't just rejoice in the icing like my two-year-old son Max does. And that's what I, unfortunately, I think a lot of teaching on generosity has become very focused upon, well, if you do this, then God will bless you. If you give, then God will bless you. And so we're kind of we're taking people's arm and come on now, let's let's get excited about this potential windfall that's going to come as God responds to your generosity. Look, can I just say something to you? If God did nothing else ever again, He deserves extravagant generosity from us as people. We should be willing to have our tools and our business smashed up and burned if it would bring one ounce of glory to His name. He has done all that is required at the cross of Christ and through his resurrection to have a people that would be willing to pour themselves out just like David and Ornan did. Now, here's why, here's why it blows my mind that sometimes we struggle to understand whether God is good or worthy to be served and worshiped because he doesn't stop there. He has done enough for us to spend all of our lives in an extravagantly generous response with all of our time, talent, and treasure. He's done enough to deserve that already. But he, go, he puts icing on the cupcake, man. He, he says, yeah, and if you do that, I'm going to bless what you give. I'm going to treat it like seed, and when you sow that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand it, and I'm going to grow it, and I'm going to send more to you. And why, and why is that? Because, there's, because he understands there's, there's joy for us in being a part of the process, right? Giving is not just this, being generous is not just this, this dutiful, boring thing, right? It's not just about, oh, is, is God's going to make me give to make sure I'm obedient? Yeah, you know what? It is a great way to test our hearts. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. That's all in there. But when you get to the point, man, when you're giving because of what God has already done, when you get to the point where you're giving extravagantly and generously because you understand how extravagantly generous God has already been with you, there's a joy in it. It's fun, and so when we begin to understand and we begin to participate in that beautiful process, God, I think we imagine God as like this, 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 this real rule miser, right? Like, 
give and sacrifice and gird, right? But Jesus taught us, man, it's better to give than receive. Just, be, just try me, man. Just, just try me. Try not thinking about yourself all the time and starting to think about others and see what happens to your, your joy level, right? We, we think that God wants us to just always be robotic in, in, in our obedience, man. If we really start to obey God, if we really start to do what it is he's asked us to do, we begin to believe and we begin to understand the truth that what God tells us, what he commands of us, what he, what he, what he requires of us, that it's, it's not just for the good of his kingdom and for the glory of his name. It's, it's for our good also. It's for our joy also. God is glorified when his people are joyful. Right? But m many of his people and people in general are convinced that the way to joy is to Amass as much as you can, you know, secure as much as you can, get as comfortable as you can, right? When, when did we buy the lie that comfort equals joy? Most of us, that's a given. Most of us, we just assume. I hear it all the time. I just want to make enough money to be comfortable, and it's just, we don't even question it. We don't even think about the phrase. Well, yeah, of course, everybody wants to be comfortable. Why wouldn't they? Right? And then we've got a bunch of Christian teachers that are, that are affirming that, and they're telling you, yeah, man, just, you just give. You sow, and God will, you know, but you got to sow to my ministry, of course. Right? So here's the number, right? Send your check here, and, and of course, then God will multiply your seed, and blah, 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 blah. Very little mention of, if, <laughs> if that promise wasn't there, friend. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's, 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 just, it's just icing on an already delicious cupcake, right? Yeah, great. God's going to increase. Yes, great. If you sow seed, God will give you more seed because he knows that you can be trusted with the seed, right? If you're faithful with little, he's going to trust you with much. That's, yes, that principle is all through the scriptures. Yes, hallelujah, amen. But what we want to focus on the next few weeks is what is our motive? Why am I giving? Am I giving because somehow I've been convinced in a begrudging way that, yeah, I owe it to God, right? Am I, am I getting out a calculator and figuring out tithe to the penny because somebody told me that, you know, if I don't do that, I'm robbing God, and so that's, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to make sure, you know, I've got it down to the letter of the law. Is, is, that, is, that, is that our heart? Is that our mentality? Or are we doing something in reverse, something that looks more like what Ornan is doing in response to the goodness and mercy and the beauty of God, where it's like, you know what? Um, I've got some grain left from last year, and, and I know God will provide. Take all this and give it to him. Give it to him. He's worthy of that. Right? I think so many times, man, we're, we're thinking about, you know, our money and our time and, well, how much of our time and our money can we give to God? And I, I, I think we have to, we have to flip our mentality to how much of God's money and how much of God's time are we going to keep for ourselves? That's the way these guys seem to be thinking. That's the way it seems that the scriptures would teach us a proper response of, of extravagant generosity should flow out of somebody that's experienced God's goodness. Um, if, if <laughs> David saw God stop short of a plague that was the direct um, result of his disobedience. So he, he saw God in a localized way not give the full punishment that was deserved. Ornan simply glimpsed the glory of the angel of the Lord that was involved in the situation, and this is the response these guys got. Friends, we 
are seeing the mercy of the God poured out upon all of the earth through all of time through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We see the totality because of our understanding, because of the scriptures laying out for us what Jesus has done, that he lived a perfect life, right? Every single one of us is imperfect. Every single one of us is in need of a savior. Every single one of us have been separated from God because of sin. God sends Jesus in the most generous act in all of history. He sends a savior. Jesus comes, is born of a virgin, lives an absolutely perfect life, and then generously steps in, allows himself to be slaughtered as the sacrifice that would pay for you and for me to be able to be called righteous before God by faith. He took it from where we owed a debt and we could never come up with the currency, no matter how hard we worked, we could never ever get up enough to pay the debt that we owed. So Jesus came in, he had what it took. So he shed his perfect blood, paid the price, and then he rose from the grave, declaring that all the stuff that he said that sounded wild and they weren't sure if they could believe it, when, when, you, when you say, I'll be back in three days, and the stone rolls away, and you walk up out of the grave, and a bunch of people see it, all of a sudden you're validated. He's the king of glory. He conquered death and hell on our behalf, and he's extended the most generous offer in all of history. I paid the price. I did the work. You can just receive the gift. What is our response, friends? What is our response? Are we going to treat, are we gonna treat uh, generosity, uh, times of offerings? Are we going to treat opportunities to use time and talent to serve and to further God's kingdom as uh, some begrudging thing on a checklist? Uh, or are we going to have the kind of just overwhelmed, undone response that these men had? At, at, at but a glimpse, right? But a glimpse of the totality of the character of God. I, I have seen extravagant generosity uh, out of a heart of gratitude in action many times in my life, um, and I'm really thankful for that. But what, what stuck out to me when thinking about these things and working through these scriptures uh, was a story of, of a dear friend of mine. His name is Pastor Maro, and he pastors uh, a small church in Tijuana, Mexico. And uh, the, the way I met him was going down there doing missions work, and we were um, building houses, and we, we built a church, and we, we built his church building. Uh, and we got to know him, and he was just precious, and so we, we stayed in contact. And then um, we began to find out about his living situation, and he lived um, in a very poorly built house. Um, so, some of his story and the way he... <laughs> Some of his response to the, the beauty of Jesus changing his life is uh, he, back when we met him, he was working two jobs, one for the city where he made roughly 100 bucks a week and another one where he made maybe another 40 or 50 bucks a week. So he was working two jobs and then he was pastoring the church that couldn't afford to pay him uh, on top of that because he understood that his time didn't belong to him and he fully, completely belonged to Jesus, right? This is an Ornan type guy. God grabbed a hold of his heart and saved him, and he's like, okay, all of me belongs to him. And so that's, that's the way he lived his life. Uh, still not enough money to have safe housing. Uh, when, when we got into the picture and understood what was going on, um, it would, you know, Mexico has a rainy season there in Tijuana, and so anytime it would rain, uh, water would just run like a river through the, it was a dirt floor. His kids' beds would get soaked. They were moldy. It was just, it was terrible. Um, Unsafe wiring is just a bad deal. And so uh, we got a group together and raised the money. And we went down and uh, 
we built him a house. And it was really awesome. Uh, God provided the funds, just, just like he did for the, the houses that we did as a church a couple years ago. You know, we started out with zero dollars and a, hey, yeah, we'll go do that, right, <laughs> by faith. And then we ended up with more money than we needed because God's faithful. So uh, it was the same type of deal. The money came out of nowhere. People came out of nowhere. We took a big team down. We started building this house for Pastor Morrow. And um, it's, uh, it's interesting because he helped us a bunch, um, but also... Uh, one of the first things he did is took some of the scrap wood after we got done cutting something out. And he, he's, he's an artist. He can freehand really, really good like, signs and stuff. And so he paints this beautiful sign that says, Dios es bueno, which is God is good. And he took it out and he hammered it out at the end of his driveway because as soon as we started building, um, it, it was pretty awesome. Most of the time what we build down there are small, like single-story deals. But um, we had designed this two-story thing because he's got four kids and his wife, and so we were trying to figure out how to use a little bit of land but get enough room for everybody to have a safe place to be, and so we built a two-story, and so as it was going up, it's, it, it, it like was kind of above everything else, right? And so people are walking by, and they started asking him, did you win the lottery? And so he's like, no, and he paints this sign, and he spent most of the day, especially during like the heavy traffic times when people would be walking by, standing out there next to the sign, Telling people when they stopped, they're like, Pastor Morrow, what's going on? Or Morrow, what's going on? What, did you win the lottery? What, what's going on? Why is, your, why, why is this big, beautiful house being built on your property? And he would sit there and tell them about Jesus and how good he was and that God had sent a group of people to help him. And so uh, that was beautiful in and of itself. But um, part of what I'm, why I'm telling you the story is uh, he would be, he, he, he was so grateful. Um, we asked his wife, what is, we had to really push her, her name's Rosa, uh, to tell us one thing that she would like to see happen in the house. And she was just so overwhelmed that it was happening at all that it took several times of sitting her down and almost being mean to say, Rosa, what would you like to have in your house? And so we finally got her to say her dream was to have tile on the floor instead of it just being a dirt floor or a concrete floor. That was her dream because you could sweep it and it's easier to clean and so uh, we went and got tile, and I remember one night being in there, and we had laid the tile, and it was down to crunch time, which it always is when you're doing something like that. You guys have seen, like, extreme home makeover type stuff where they go in, and they blitz this stuff and do it in a week. I, <laughs> they have teams and teams and teams of people running shifts. Uh, you know, we had, like, five people that knew what they were doing in the Holy Spirit. Like, that was it, right? So... <laughs> I don't, I honest to God to this day can't tell you how we got it done. We plumbed it, we wired it, we built it like an American house. It, it was fully legit, shower, the whole deal. It, it, and I almost, I can't remember the details, but I almost want to say like you just come back in the morning after sleeping a few hours and like stuff got done in the nighttime when no one was there. It was just, I don't even know how it happened. But anyway, so we're tiling and, uh, and we're grouting and it's like two in the morning and I was on my hands and knees, and when you grout, you push all the grout in the tile, and then you got to come back with sponges and, and wipe up the residue. And so we were, we were coming through the, the biggest area, heading for the door, and he had, he, I don't know if he had slept all week. He was working, working, working. He was just killing it. And, and I'm, I'm on my hands and knees wiping this stuff, and he's running me buckets because the buckets of water would get dirty, and so you got to have clean to, to get the grout up. And so we were working together, and he would... Uh, he would take a dirty bucket and go to get me clean water, and I, would, I was so tired, I would just lay over sideways on the wet tile and sleep for 30 seconds while he would 
bring the clean water, and he'd come and tap me, and I'd get up and keep doing it again, man, and we just got to the end and hugged each other, like, dear Jesus, thank you, <laughs> thank you, this is done, so, um, and he was just, he was there the whole time, and just super grateful, I mean, I, I think, I don't know how he didn't die of dehydration, just tears in his eyes the whole week, so thankful to Jesus, so thankful, and um, it, it, it came through, not only in the fact that um, he, he had the wisdom to use that blessing from God as an evangelistic opportunity in his neighborhood, that was, it was obvious that he, out of his gratitude, was going to make sure God got glory, but also in, in the way he's treated us. And so this was like eight years ago, and we've been back six or seven times since then. And uh, I'm, I'm talking about extravagant generosity in light of gratitude in, in response to what God has done. Every single time we've gone back, and we take groups roughly 15, between 15 and 30 normally when we go, every single time we've gone back, he has insisted that we bring the entire group to his house and that he makes us dinner one of the nights that he's there. And that might not sound like a big deal to you, but when you calculate the cost of what it takes to feed 30 people and what he makes, he's, sp he's spending a week's wages every single time we've gone back without fail. And he's adamant about it. You guys are going to come over, right? He takes a week's, think about that, a week's wages, and he throws a party, and he says, I want you guys to come so we can celebrate again what God did here. And I respect that guy. That's extravagant generosity. That's what it looks like. That's a guy that's got a really grateful heart. And so um, <clears throat> Pastor Morrow's my friend. He's one of my heroes. I want to be like him when I grow up. So um, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful, and, and, and I'm just saying, to, here's, here's the premise. I'm, this is what I want to start with. This, this is what I want to leave you with as we move into these next four weeks. The only proper response to who God is and what God has done is extravagant generosity. That's the major premise I want to lay at your feet. I want you to consider. I want you to pray about it, think about it, and I want you to then think about what does that look like. In your life. First of all, do you buy it? Will, will you agree that in light of who God is and what he's done, extravagant generosity is the only right response? Do you believe that first? Then secondly, I want you to take before the Lord. I think you should. I'm, I'll give you the answer to that one. Yes, it is the only right response. And then secondly, what does that look like in your life? Is your response to the goodness of God and the truth of his gospel would it be characterized as extravagant? That's what I'm laying before you. And we're going we're gonna to work more on it. We're going to add more, fill in more context around these ideas. But the basic premise for this, this first time together as we think through these things is that. Is extravagant generosity the right response to God? And what does that look like for each one of us? Amen. May we be a people who understand that it is not only what we do that matters, but why we do it. May we be a people who realize that the only proper response to the incomparably extravagant generosity of our God is for us to be extravagantly generous. And may the world see our generous response to the mercy of our God and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you uh, for this story. Thank you that it gives us a reference point uh, for understanding what generosity looks like. Thank you that um, these men 
Ornan and David in their time, that they understood what a right response to you is. God, may we be convicted by the fact that these men saw but a glimpse, and we see fully. They, they saw, yes, they saw your mercy in holding back that pestilence, and yes, they saw your glory in the radiance of that angel of the Lord, but God, we see, <laughs> we see the fullness of your redemptive plan. You have unfolded for us the beauty of what it is you've been doing in the earth from the time of Abraham. We see, <laughs> we get to rejoice in the fact that Abraham offered Isaac on the top of Mount Moriah, that you commissioned this offering on that same hilltop, and then Jesus spilt his precious blood on those same hills. We see your redemptive plan in all of its totality. God, we have not seen just a glimpse, but we have seen the fullness of the radiance of your beauty and kindness towards us, your love. Uh, and all of that we see fully in Jesus and his person and his work. Thank you for allowing us to see that. And God, please help us. Help us to respond rightly to it. Help us, Lord, to not get caught up in selfishness and caught up in self-focus. God, help us to trust you enough to be generous. Not only with finances, but God, with our time and with the gifts that you've given us, Lord. Help us, God, to really in our hearts, in an extravagantly generous way, help us to lay ourselves down at your feet and to mean it, to say, God, take all of me, have all of me, do with me what you will knowing that if we fully entrust all that we have and all that we are to you, that you will take care of us, that you are a provider. Lord, may our hearts be pure before you. May our hearts be bent in gratitude towards you. And may we be extravagantly generous in light of it. God, I ask that you would anoint us to do things that other people would say is foolish. I ask that you would anoint us, God. Give us the ability to trust you in such a way that we would we would give away resources, time, talent, and money. God, we would do so much for your kingdom that people would think that we've lost our minds. But God, let them also watch as you provide for us. Let them also watch as it doesn't lead to our ruin, but it leads to us having greater joy and peace than all of those that are living for themselves. Lord, help us to believe these things first and then help us to live it out so that you're glorified. Help us to be an extravagant people because you are an extravagant God. We love you and we trust you and we praise you. Thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give, or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.